0: Tend up. The following program is Spons mm. Incorporated. Today on Know the Truth from Philip de Jesus had said that
1: on the third day he would rise, but there's no thought of that here. And when they get there, these women were not expecting the resurrection. Instead of rejoicing, they're alarmed. They're alarmed by the presence of an angel and they're alarmed by the proclamation of the angel. They had come to honor, in an act of devotion, their dead master but they're confronted with the reality of their living Lord.
0: Resurrection changes everything. In Jesus Christ, we have a Savior who conquered sin and death. He's alive, and through him, we have new life. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. We're discovering the abundant life that's only possible when we encounter the risen Christ. If you missed any of the previous messages in this three part sermon, download them all at ktt.org. We're in Mark chapter 16, so grab a Bible if you've got one handy and stay tuned. Here's Philip.
1: Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 16 because here we're at Mark's telling of the resurrection story. This is the resolution of his gospel by showing that Jesus has been declared the Son of God by means of the resurrection, reminding us that indeed Christianity at its heart is a religion of resurrection. Now, there are several things in this story I don't want you to miss, things that are both theologically helpful and practically applicable. But let's pick up in verse 1. Now, when the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Salome, bought spices and they came that they might anoint him. It was very early in the morning. It was the first day of the week. And they came to the tomb when the sun was risen. Here we're confronted with the devotion of these two women. Even after Jesus has now been buried for three days, they want to indeed do this additional honor. They want to express their deep love for the Lord Jesus. So that's the devotion. Secondly, the day. Verse 2. So the women come. They had bought spices. They want to come and anoint him in an act of devotion. Then we read in verse 2, very early in the morning on the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. So their arrival is noted, time logged for us. It's early in the morning, and it's the first day of the week. It's Sunday. And all the other gospels agree that that's the timing of the discovery of Jesus' resurrection. It's the big, bold day in redemptive history. It's the day victory was announced over death, hail by Jesus Christ. But here's the thing you need to understand. It's more than a chronological marker. No, this is a theological marker. And you're going to see when you get into the book of Acts and into the epistles that this was the day the church gathered to worship. In Acts 20, verse 17, it says, and the disciples came together on the first day of the week to break bread. This is the beginning of a shift Because just as the Passover was replaced by the Lord's Supper, the Sabbath is replaced by the first day. We don't worship God on the Sabbath. Now, qualify that we worship God every day of the week. But this is a shift from the Passover to the Lord's Supper, from the Sabbath to the first day of the week. This is a day that the church would hallow and count as special. That's the devotion and the day. What about the discovery? The discovery, well, verses 3 through 6. This is the discovery of the women that the tomb is empty and it is open. They're asking themselves, how are we going to move this stone? Remember, it's a big one. But when they get there, the stone's already removed. They enter into the tomb. They see an angel on the right side. They're alarmed. He says, don't be alarmed. I believe you're here to see Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. Well, he's not here. He's risen. And you know what? Look at the place where he laid. They had come to honor in an act of devotion their dead master, but they're confronted with the reality of their living Lord. Although we've seen this throughout the gospel, these women were not expecting the resurrection, right? They're going to anoint the body with spices. Now, Jesus had said on three occasions to his disciples and hinted on other occasions that on the third day he would rise. But there's no thought of that here. And when they get there instead of rejoicing at the stones rolled away and the body's gone, they're alarmed. They're alarmed by the presence of an angel and they're alarmed by the proclamation of the angel. He's not here. This is a glorious discovery. Because you see, the Christian faith is a religion of resurrection. Paul tells us that. If Christ be not risen, close the doors, pull down the shutters, time to go home. Because our preaching is hotter. We're still in our sins. Our faith is futile and our suffering has no reward at the end of it. And therefore, we're to be pitied of all men. But we're a religion of resurrection. And these women are confronted with the startling, stunning reality that Jesus Christ has been raised from the dead. He is not here. He's gone ahead of you. He'll see you in Galilee. Now, the import and the implication of that's massive. So let's look not only at the devotion... Not only at the discovery, two more things quickly. The directive, verse seven, but go tell his disciples and Peter that he's going before you in the Galilee. There you will see him as he said to you. In fact, if you go back to Mark fourteen, Jesus said he will meet them after his resurrection in Galilee. And so these women who went out of an act of devotion on the first day of the week to the tomb discovered Jesus was risen. And we're given a commission or a directive from the angel. Go tell the disciples and Peter. He'll meet them, rendezvous with them in Galilee. Now, some very practical things I think is very encouraging. The first thing is the singling out of Peter. He failed. He denied the Lord three times. In fact, he says to his friends, hey, let's go back fishing. Ruminate on for a moment with you is God wasn't finished with Peter. And Peter needed to hear that. Go tell my disciples and Peter. That was a word of forgiveness. That was an invitation of grace. Peter, failure's not final. We have a God of the second chance. Amen? Amen. What about John Mark who wrote this gospel? Didn't he bail out on Paul? Paul was done with him. Barnabas took him under his wing. But the beauty is in 2 Timothy 4 verse 11, he's restored to Paul. And Paul says, hey, tell Mark to come. He's profitable to me. God takes returns on soiled goods we've all got our moments when we do some kind of glorious spiritual belly flop. You know, some glorious spiritual face plant. We fall over some command or we fall down on some responsibility. We don't glorify the sin. We don't make light of the disobedience, but God will meet you at the bottom of the pile and hand you his hand. He did to Peter. Love that. Love that. And then there's not only that thought, but the fact that Jesus goes ahead of them to Galilee. Tell my disciples and Peter that I'm going before them in the Galilee and I'll see them there. Now, Galilee is an important region where Jesus ministered most of the time. It's where he called his disciples and sent them out into the world, commissioned to indeed be his representatives. And there could well be a thought there, but I don't want to overlook something simpler than that. In fact, again, Paul Beasley Murray helps me get this thought. If you go back to Mark 1 verse 16, I'll do it for you. We read, and as he walked by the sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus says, come follow me. Galilee was the place where they were called and commissioned, but Galilee was where they were brought up. It's where they lived life. It's where their homes were constructed, where they raised their families. It's where Jesus' ministry took place most of the time. It was their home turf. Could it well be, Paul Beasley Murray suggests this, that Jesus is saying, hey, I'll meet you in Galilee. I'll meet you in your Galilee. I'll meet you in your home turf where life takes place, where everyday affairs unfold. That's where I'll meet you. And it's a beautiful thought because, yes, the risen Christ meets us at the point that we fulfill his great commission and the winning of souls. But it is good to know that the risen Christ and his glorious presence is available to us in the everyday affairs of life. Few of us will be pushed out that far that we travel across the world to be a witness for Jesus Christ. But most of us will live out our lives like those fishermen, in a certain place, on a certain street, among people we have known for many, many years. And that is something that can be brightened and made glorious through the presence of the risen Christ. I'll see you in your Galilee where everyday life takes place. Biblical Christianity comes to life at the sound of the factory horn. Biblical Christianity stands up and is thrilled at the invitation to do dishes in the kitchen. Because biblical Christianity is lived out in Galilee, in the everyday affairs of life. That's why Ruth Bell Graham, the wife of Billy Graham, had a sign above her kitchen sink that read, worship takes place here three times a day. It's the faith lived out in the context of the ordinary. The power there is in Christ empowers you to arrive at work on time, put your overalls on and put a good day's work in, clock out at five o'clock and say to God, be the glory. Then go home and sit and have a meal with your family. Maybe, you know, crank the mower up and cut the grass, tidy up the garage. That's all Christianity being lived out in the power of the risen Christ. I'll meet you in Galilee. In fact, I've got to just squeeze this quote in by a, a lady by the name of Trish Harrison Warren, who was a young person who bought into this theme that's so prevalent among young people, that eat radical radical. I want to do something radical for Jesus. I'm going to go down to the inner city and live there and change that community. I'm going to go somewhere in Africa or Asia and do something radical for those who are most disadvantaged. But after some time in that kind of environment, she comes home, gets married, and kind of settles down. And here's what she says about ordinary life. Now I'm 30-something with two kids living a more or less ordinary life. And what I'm slowly realizing is that for me, being in the house all day with a baby and a two-year-old is a lot more scary and a lot harder than being in war-torn African village. What I need courage for is the ordinary, the daily everydayness of life. Caring for a homeless kid is a lot more thrilling to me than listening well to people in my home. Giving away clothes and seeking out edgy Christian communities requires less of me than being kind to my husband on an average Wednesday morning or calling my mother back when I don't feel like it. That's good stuff. I'll meet you in Galilee where life takes place. We need a radical commitment to the ordinary. Finally, the last thought, just squeeze it in for a couple of minutes. The distress, verse 8, the distress. So they went quickly and fled from the tomb, for they trembled and were amazed. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Look at those words, trembled, amazed, afraid. Their response to what they saw and heard inside and outside the tomb was they were seized by terror and they ran and hid. Now, they will tell the disciples and Peter to go to Galilee. But for a time, they seemed to just off the radar screen. They're so stunned and shocked by all that they saw and all that they heard. And here's a thought. This may be where the gospel ends. If you've got a modern translation... Something like the NASB or the NIV or the ESV, sometimes you'll see a line under verse 8. And verses 9 through 20 are kind of separated because there's a debate as to whether they belong in the Gospel of Mark. They're not in the two earliest manuscripts, Sinaiticus and Vaticanus. And so an argument is made, they're not in the earliest copies we have of God's Word. The language is a little off and you compare with the rest of Mark. And most New Testament scholars today, I would guess, make an argument that it is not, inspired, it doesn't belong in Mark's gospel, and was added later because his ending is so abrupt. We don't know why, if it is the case, did he mean to get back to finishing the gospel and he didn't? Did we lose that part of Mark's gospel? Or did Mark actually intend to stop there? In some comedies, John MacArthur makes a good argument, this is a fitting conclusion if it stops in verse 8. Because as we close, Mark's kind of finishing his gospel with, afraid, amazed, Because he finishes his gospel with bewildered disciples of Jesus in a state of shock. And there may be merit to see that as a possible conclusion. Because it's kind of finishing the gospel like this. The unbelievable has happened. You must believe it. I know it's staggering. I know it's upsetting. I know it's hard to get your head around. But yes, God in the flesh entered our world, revealed his heart put his power on display, then give himself willingly to die on a cross for our sin, Entered the domain of darkness, tore the bars away, escaped to tell us that life need never be the same again. And history is on a new trajectory. Yeah, that's world changing. That's earth shattering. I'll knock you sideways if you really embrace that. And the women just were stunned. You mean he's not here? He is risen. And they're stunned, terrified, amazed. In fact, this word amazed in verse 8 is found throughout the Gospels for when they see Jesus calm the storm, when they see him exercise the demon from the demoniac, and then also the Mount of Transfiguration. It's always associated with the inbreaking of God's power and the outbreaking of God's power. And they are just stunned now because the greatest act of God is the overcoming of death and triumphing over the grave. And I actually like kind of warming to the thought, this may be actually a very good end of the gospel. It's unbelievable. It's happened. And now you've got to believe it. Jesus has been declared the Son. Here's the challenge. These women reacted. Maybe you're stunned. If this is where the gospel ends, and you, you finish the gospel with Mark 16, verse 8, the last word is they go and duck and hide the freed. And you kind of react to their reaction. The problem is, we don't react the way they reacted. We're no longer stunned. We no longer stand back, staggered by the thought that the grave has been conquered and Jesus has risen from the dead. We've lost that sense of awe and wonder. We've come again to the story of the resurrection, and we kind of, okay, that's interesting or there might even be a verbal or an intellectual commitment to it, but nothing that stirs the soul, nothing that awakens the heart, that allows us afresh to skip out of this auditorium in the belief that we have been born again under a living hope. And because He lives, we shall live also. And we may bear a cross, but the cross is not the end of the story. We will wear a crown. Heaven lies ahead. An eternal estate awaits us. Joy forevermore. And it kind of washes over us we've seen this movie before, and it's tragic. We may condemn these women. You know what? You knew this was going to happen. He told you it was going to happen. Why are you surprised? Well, just as much, I think the Lord looks over the balcony of heaven and said, where's your surprise? Where's your sense of wonder and awe at the thought of my resurrection? In fact, thinking about that, I've seen this movie before. I'll finish with this analogy. You know, I've taken these long flights 12 14 hours so the only way to put them in is to bring a good book watch a couple of movies and eat as much as they'll give you <laughs> so that you fall asleep at some point you know if I get a good movie I'll come home and they'll say hey June I saw this great movie on the flight you know gotta watch it some night you know maybe a good action movie a good mystery a drama that unfolds and you go wow didn't see that coming that was a great end or I'm glad that turned out the way it did and so June and I'll watch it. And, you know, she's enjoying it like I enjoyed it the first time. I'm enjoying it, but not just so much. Because I kind of know what's coming. I know the turning point's in the movie. Uh, I know the suspense will be relieved at some point, And it'll be a, a happy ever after kind of moment at the end. And then after we've enjoyed that, June will say, you know, that was a good movie. We should invite the girls over and watch that some night. And I watch it for the third time. And the girls are excited because they're watching it for the first time. Jim's not just as excited because he's watching it for the second time. And I'm like, you know what, oh, I've seen this all before. <laughs> if it's good, you kinda go, it's still good, still a good move in. You're kinda mostly engaged, but not fully engaged. And the visual and the emotional impacts kinda dying. Folks, that can happen with the gospel. We all know that. That's why Jesus will chastise the church at Ephesus. You've left your first love. It's not that you don't love me, but there seems something missing. seems a little predictable, programmed. If this is the end of Mark's gospel, I think it's a fitting conclusion. These women left stunned, amazed, and in a state of wonderment. Let that be true of you and me. Gypsy Smith, the great evangelist, was asked why he was so successful. He said, I don't really know other than perhaps I never lost the wonder. That does make a difference. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for our time in Mark's gospel. We're coming to a close, but we thank you for this ending. What a spectacular end as Mark resolves his gospel with the resurrection of Jesus Christ where he was declared to be the Son of God, where he declared victory over death and hell. We see him in the book of Revelation holding the keys to both And so we thank you for our Lord Jesus Christ. He's Lord of life and Lord of death and Lord of history. May he be Lord of our lives more completely. Lord, help us to show something of the devotion we see in these two women. This kind of devotion that just sets out to love regardless of the cost, the circumstances, or the challenges. Lord, help us as the church to hallow the Lord's day. Help us to allow it to become a controlling significance in our life once again. Oh, God, thank you that whatever our Friday might seem like, Sunday's always coming in the life of the Christian. We've been born again onto a living hope. And Lord, forgive us. Sometimes when we read your word, we've seen this movie before. May your Spirit stir us afresh to the glory of the person and work of Jesus Christ. May we meditate on the alternative and the hopelessness that would ensue. May we be stirred afresh at the thought of heaven and the glories that await us. May we fight the distraction of lesser things. May we recover something of the wonderment of this and the stunning, staggering implications of the gospel. For we ask and pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
0: Amen. The gospel is a beautiful truth that offers God's amazing grace. You're listening to Know the Truth with Philip DeCourcy. Today's message is called It's a New Day, and you can order a CD copy of the message when you visit us online at ktt.org. Now, Philip, you're here to give us a bit of an update. It's an exciting time for Know the Truth, isn't it? As we've been given new opportunities to broadcast in even more cities. It really is, Wayne,
1: and uh, we're having a a wider impact than ever before, and we're reaching more people than ever. But we can't do this alone, and so I want to make an appeal to our listeners today, Wayne. We need more of our friends to sign up to be Truth Ambassadors. Now, Truth Ambassadors is a program that allows you to come alongside us and help us financially in this ministry, Paul talks about Christians being ambassadors in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 20. In Paul's day, an ambassador represented the king and his kingdom elsewhere in the world. And we certainly, as a ministry, want to be a voice for the king of kings and the lord of lords. And so, would you today consider? signing up and joining us through our Truth Ambassadors program. If you will invest in this ministry, you'll help us to stay on these stations across many of the cities in our country. You'll change lives forever, and you will allow us to keep doing what we love to do. So go to ktt.org and sign up today. You can make a monthly contribution at $25 or $50 or beyond that. Whatever the amount, we'll be deeply thankful, and you'll be investing yourself in a ministry that's changing lives Forever,
0: Yes, and you can help us do that today by picking up the phone or going online to sign up as a Truth Ambassador. Call us at 888-644-8811 or online go to ktt.org. Start your recurring monthly gift at $25 or $50 or $100. We'd love to add you to our team of faithful supporters. And when you give today, we'll send you a book Philip has selected on the subject of trusting God. In this modern classic, author Jerry Bridges uses his own journey of faith to demonstrate that you and I can trust God even when life hurts. Request the book called Trusting God when you support the Bible teaching ministry of Know the Truth. And again, you can donate online at ktt.org or call us at 888-644-8811. Now you can also request this month's free resource, a CD message from Philip titled Keep Calm and Carry On. You'll continue to learn that God is worthy of your trust and He's always at work for your best. Request the free CD message when you call 888-644-8811 or go to ktt.org. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, inviting you back tomorrow for more Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth, Incorporated. Jesus said, You shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.
1: This is Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution for the Salem Radio Network. It's not easy being Mitch McConnell. As Senate Majority Leader, he has one of the toughest and most underappreciated jobs in Washington. But does he ever do that job well? Senator Mitch McConnell is the boldest and most skillful Senate Republican leader that I have seen in my lifetime. His leadership has helped to confirm two Supreme Court justices, dozens of appeals courts judges, and many more appointees to key positions in the executive branch and across government. And he's a big part of the reason why many Americans have enjoyed tax cuts this year. Over the next month, Leader McConnell faces another huge challenge, ensuring Republicans hang on to the majority in
0: the Senate after the November elections. Here's to hoping he handles that task with the same skill that's led him to so many victories before. I'm Lonnie Chen. For more information, please visit townhallreview.com. The Pepperdine Graduate School of Public Policy, preparing leaders for the public square. Learn more at publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu, The Army National Guard is offering up to a... Turbulent times call
1: for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of
0: conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what your search watching for at snc.tv and on local now channel 525.